Hello, and welcome to Bloody Violent History. My name is Tom Ashton, and with my old friend, James Jackson, we're going to talk about moments from history that tell us who we are, how we got here, and perhaps where we're heading. And yes, it's often violent and generally quite bloody. Welcome back to our section on objects from history, 100 bloody objects. What is our object today, Jamie? Object number 13, a billiard ball. The duel, a shot in the park. I'm excited to be talking with you today, Jamie, on the subject of duelling. Last year, I watched the excellent Ridley Scott movie, The Duelist, and it tweaked my interest. The duel, a formal encounter between two people with a deadly weapon. There are rules, and the point? To settle a personal quarrel or a matter of honour. Dueling started in feudal times. Before that, combat between individuals would be, for example, a contest between champions of opposing armies. There are many examples in Homer's Iliad. Judicial combat, as a Teutonic institution, had the support of state and church in about 800 to 900 AD. But gradually the appeal to heaven, God would reward the innocent party with victory, lost favour with the authorities. But individuals would still approve the settling of matters with a sword, Thus, a French king decreed duelling was against the law, while at the same time declaring to his subject, if I were not the king, I would be your second. The words of Tacitus describe this duelling dichotomy. In our city, always both forbidden and retained. I've saved us the Latin original, Jamie, but how did this so-called invention of the devil end up with two men in a farcical face-off with billiard balls. Because things had turned from honour into, as you said, just quarrel. Uh, Right from the start of formal duelling, really, which was in the Renaissance, it was very difficult to tell the difference between a brawl and a duel. And if you get to 1843, which was very late in the day, which stage dueling was being satirized it had fun poked at it no one took it seriously the church was attacking it politicians were attacking it people were just resorting to it just over cards or alcohol just as they did in the wild west for example and so by 1843 in france you had two men lafon and melfon who decided to fight with billiard balls it was a parlor game of billiards and they had a a, a parlour game dispute was it a parlour game dispute and they stood 12 paces apart and one of them said i'm going to kill you with the first strike and he did i would sometimes wonder whether the victim shouted you just ain't got the balls before he was struck but who knows but that's where dueling had got to by that stage yeah not good but in the past we can go back to the time of the vikings they had a form of dueling Yes, they had a form called home gang, and they saw it as meritocratic. It allowed lesser mortals to fight nobles. It allowed people who weren't worth a lot of money to fight those who were. It was a matter of honour, and it was settled that way. 
And you see this across Europe. I mean, in Germany, you have the Council of Honour deciding which jewels should be allowed. So the authorities were very ambivalent about this. I mean, Louis XIII, for example, in the 17th century in France, banned dueling, but at the same time pardoned 8,000 duelists. And it was a serious problem. Again, in the first decade of the 17th century, you had 2,000 noblemen killed in duels. So it, it was becoming a serious problem. The following is a piece written for us by Richard Hopton, author of Pistols at Dawn and the novel The Straits of Treachery. 1. The Rise and Fall of the Duel Dueling had a long, bloody and colourful history. In Europe it thrived from the 16th until the 20th centuries, travelling with soldiers and administrators to the outposts of empire. It survived American independence, becoming firmly rooted in the New Republic, especially in the antebellum South. It was often supposed by its opponents, of which there were many, that dueling's origin lay in the ages of ignorance, superstition and Gothic barbarism. While the medieval practices of trial by combat and jousting have obvious similarities with dueling, the modern duel is a creation of the Renaissance. The prolonged presence in Italy during the Italian Wars, 1494 to 1559, of large numbers of French soldiers greatly assisted the spread of the modern duel, predicated on the notion of an individual's honour as something to be nurtured and, if need be, defended. The new technology of printing ensured a constant flow of manuals offering gentlemen instruction in the newly minted precept of honour and more practical advice in the art of swordplay. By the beginning of the 17th century, duelling was well established in France, where the prolonged period of civil war in the second half of the 16th century had done nothing to discourage its spread and catching on in England. After 1660, restoration rakes were enthusiastic duelists. In France, it was responsible for a swathe of deaths. Both Cardinal Richelieu and Louis XIV failed to stamp out the practice. Louis, particularly, was guilty of passing laws forbidding duels, but then pardoning the duelists themselves. During the 18th century, the pistol gradually succeeded the sword as the duelists' preferred weapon. This was largely the result of the fact that by mid-century, fewer gentlemen wore swords as part of their everyday attire. High-quality duelling pistols began to be made in London from the 1770s, but in France in particular, the sword retained its popularity amongst duelists until the 20th century. By the time the young Queen Victoria came to the throne in 1837, duelling in Britain at least was becoming an anachronism. This was despite the fact that as recently as 1829, the serving Prime Minister, the Duke of Wellington, had felt it necessary to fight a duel to uphold his honour. The notoriety of Lord Cardigan's duel with Captain Tuckett in 1840 and his subsequent acquittal at his trial in the House of Lords provoked public outrage. In 1844, the Articles of War which governed military discipline were amended to discourage duelling in the army. Henceforth, the widows of officers killed in a duel would not receive a military pension. This measure and the decisive shift in public opinion killed off duelling in Britain. The last fatal duel fought here may well have been in 1852. The Tranby-Croft affair of 1890 centred around a wealthy guards officer and crony of the Prince of Wales, Sir William Gordon Cumming, who was accused of cheating at cards. Fifty years earlier, the episode would have been settled on the duelling ground. 
by 1890, Sir William chose to clear his name through the courts. In France and elsewhere on the continent, duelling survived until the 20th century. It was actively encouraged in military circles in the Kaiserreich. Mussolini fought a duel with sabres in 1921. In France it remained commonplace. Georges Clemenceau may have fought as many as 20 duels during his career in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, but the very lack of danger, fatalities were vanishingly rare, increasingly exposed the practice to ridicule. As late as 1967, two French parliamentarians, the communist Gaston de Ferre and a Gaullist, René Ribière, fought a duel with rapiers in the garden of a house in Neuilly, an event which received extensive press coverage. By then, however, the practice had been consigned to the history books, becoming the province of practical jokers and historical fantasists. So they, they recognised it was a bad thing, but they, like a habit or an addiction, they couldn't give it up. Yes, and having seen it sort of really evolve in Italy, in Renaissance Italy, and then move into France and establish itself in France, it was very hard to get rid of. And it was becoming very formalised. There was a lot of etiquette and manners around. So in 1594 in Italy, you had Giacomo de Grassi coming up with his seminal book, The True Art of Defence, which showed how any rich kid could use a sword or a dagger in fighting. Later in the 16th century, you had a guy called George Silver in England, producing a book called The Paradoxes of Defence. And he extolled the virtues of fighting with a rapier in one hand and a buckler, the old small shield, in the other. So the English had a different view. In France, you also had seminal works coming out proposing the use of rapiers and how to duel. In Spain, you had, we've talked about it before, Destreza, the skill or the art, which showed people how to use geometry and movement and balance in order to overcome your opponent and how to kill multiple opponents. So it became very embedded in the psyche. And it is this basic thing that young men carrying swords and daggers at some stage are going to use them. And so often it's to do with cards and alcohol and women. And the laws and the rules that go with all the honour, they're quite often used in a defence when somebody's killed, aren't they? Yes, even later on in the 19th century, you had people using manslaughter you know, as a defence or self-defence. You, know, you look at Lord Cardigan's duel in the 19th century, where he was tried by his peers in the House of Lords. So there were technical ways of getting off. In 1598, Ben Johnson got around his murder charge by claiming benefit of clergy, where he was tried in front of a church court, and all he had to do was recite a psalm. So, and, and also it demonstrates you know, that what they were fighting over was which, which theatre was best. Yes, that's what we're talking about. The fact that so often it was just a ridiculous barroom dispute. Later, in the 18th century, you had someone like Lord Byron fighting a duel inside a tavern and killing his cousin over a dispute over which one had more game in their respective estates. So, so often it came down to just something getting out of control, getting out of hand. So this idea of the duel in the Renaissance period moved from Italy, those wars that were taking place with so many Frenchmen fighting there, across into France where it was heavily adopted. 
Yes, I'm not saying that the average French male is arrogant, thin-skinned and quick to take offence, but you've actually got a rather good quote that sums it up. Well, I, I'm a great fan of Montaigne, as you know, a great uh, the mayor of Bordeaux. He said this in one of his essays, put three Frenchmen together on the plains of Libya and they will not be a month in company without scratching one another's eyes out. Uh, and he was a Frenchman, of course. And I think he put it pretty succinctly. It became really part of the whole way that France operated. There were so many noblemen being killed, so many fights. The fact that Louis XIII had to pardon 8,000 people, as we mentioned, you know, by the end of the 17th century, I think over a 30-year period, there were something like 10,000 French army officers involved in duels. They reckon that some 400 were killed. So, well, and, but, and between 1601 and 1609, there were... 2,000 deaths from duelling of noblemen alone. Yes, it became a serious problem. You know, if you look at people like the musketeers, I mean, these were organised brawls quite often. Although with the musketeers, so many of them were killed in battle anyway because they were always pushed into the front line to fill a gap and were slaughtered in, in their hundreds. So it, that became quite a problem. And there was this tension. I mean, people like Richler were very against dueling. I think his brother was killed in the duel. He was. Yes. So you, you got that tension and you had these laws passed to ban it, but it still stayed there. And you can see why people like Thomas Hobbes in England were saying that the concept of honour and dueling is obnoxious. It's absurd. So you always had these sort of tensions. You always had people against it. It, it, yes, it started to... Uh, there was a little bit of an, uh, a reaction against duelling. The king, uh, Louis XIII, had uh, said that he was against, even though he was he quite liked it as well, I think. And when Richelieu arraigned Count de Bouteville, who was a tremendous duelist and had fought 21 duels and wanted to fight a 22nd, which he did, he and his second were arrested and executed as a lesson to, to others. So it, it sort of had a, a start of an impact, but they carried on. They oh, carried it, on it carried on everywhere. And even if you look at England, people were carrying swords and they used them. You, know, you, you look at William Shakespeare. Uh, he was arraigned before magistrates for brawling in the street, for fighting in the street and drawing his sword. If you take a play such as Romeo and Juliet, there's some great lines in it that so sum up this, this idea of the firebrand. You know, Benvolio talks of these mad days, the heat of these mad days. And um, now these hot days is the mad blood stirring. Exactly, and that sums it up so well. And you have Romeo saying, fire-eyed fury is my conduct now. And it's just quarrel and vendetta and high passions. And you're going to get people drawing their swords. We've, we've mentioned... Ben Jonson, I mean, he was the bad boy of the period, great drinking companion of William Shakespeare, and again, arrested later on for his connections to gunpowder plotters, for example, in 1605. But you know, back in the late uh, 16th century, uh, he fought a duel with Gabriel Spencer, and you, know, me you mentioned it about it. It was just a quarrel about who had the best group of players, the best theatre company in London. And Ben Johnson was only 20 at the time, and he had a duel on Hoxton Fields, and he managed to pierce Gabriel Spencer through, through the right side. Um, I think the wound was six inches deep, but that was just another brawl, basically, an organised brawl. 
Yes, and I mean the famous uh, duel of that period was Christopher Marlowe. Well, or that, was it a duel? That was probably more of a brawl, and there, there have always been questions asked about his death. That took place in 1593 in Deptford, and who knows? He was linked to uh, relations of Walsingham, the famous spy chief. He had already had to answer questions about sedition and treason and some of the things he had written, and no one quite knows. It's believed he got into dispute with a guy called Frisier about the payment of a bill. Uh, known as the reckoning, so it was certainly the reckoning for him. You know, all the time you have these people carrying swords or carrying daggers as well and bucklers and getting into fights, and there was a lot of drink around and a lot of things to have disputes over. So by the 17th century, Jamie, everybody was dueling. Even a dwarf, Tom. In 1644, the court dwarf of Charles I who by then was sort of exiled with Queen Henrietta, fought a duel. He was only 18 inches high. He was known as Lord Minimus. He used to be put in a sandwich and, and people used to pretend to eat him. Oh, I mean, those, that was one of his stunts. But he, I hate to say he got a bit above himself. He certainly started thinking that he was more important than he was. He, di he didn't want to be treated like a pet anymore. So he believed in some kind of sort of liberation for himself. And why not? He felt he'd been insulted. He challenged someone to a duel. They turned up with a water pistol. Hudson shot him and killed him. Well done, Hudson. Three cheers for Hudson. He actually ended up being captured by Barbary pirates and after many years among the white slave trade of North Africa, was released and retired. But I wonder, wonder what he did for them. Or was he be just in the court as well? I mean, he can't have been rowing. He, 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 <laughs> don't put him down. A man can have I think he would have been beating the drum, bouncing uh, on the drum. A man can have <laughs> dreams. But he probably ended up as a pet again or was involved in dwarf throwing contests, so it all went horribly enough, wrong. Enough, enough. I, I like the fact he shot the guy. I think he did very well. Yes, the, the, the answer is don't turn up with a water pistol to a duel. As we've said before, this whole idea of dueling became so embedded that by the next century, in 1743, you had Horace Walpole's uncle having a duel in the middle of the House of Commons. He had a dispute behind the Speaker's chair in the House of Commons and left, went into the lobby and they drew their swords and he managed to wound his opponent who had to go off and see a surgeon. So this was going on among politicians, uh, among the clergy even. So it was getting pretty desperate. It was becoming a middle-class activity like dinner parties today. It was. What, what sort of slightly saved it was the move towards pistols because people did not carry pistols with them on the whole. And Whereas people did carry rapiers in the 17th century, by the sort of 18th century, and certainly by 1800, it had moved towards pistols. So you actually had to think about it, go and get your dueling pistols, come back for a formal session in a park somewhere. And that, in the end, started making dueling a bit more difficult. Yes, I suppose tempers could cool and people could, you know, make up and so on. So with the arrival of the dueling pistol, things changed. They did slightly, you know, and you had a you had a chance of escaping unscathed, I think. Although the first known 
duel involving pistols in England was 1711, when the MP for Kent ended up being killed in a pistol duel. In 1749, two naval captains, Innes and Clark, had a duel, and Innes ended up being killed. So you still got shots being fired and people being mortally wounded. So it could get quite dangerous. Well, I think also the other thing with pistols, I mean, like like all sort of rifles, and so, it's much easier to give somebody a pistol and, and send them into battle than, than a sword where you need to have a lot of training. So, so it's sort of evened up. You could have two kind of incompetents firing pistols at each other and, and the duel sort of coming to something. Whereas if you have one pretty competent sword fighter and another person who'd never picked a sword up, he, he doesn't stand a chance. Which is why I think politicians started going for pistol duels as well. It became quite the thing, whether it's Pitt or Fox and Castle Ray and Canning. I mean, that was a very famous duel in 1809, by which stage most duels were pistol. You never get Jane Austen writing about duels, which is quite interesting. No, uh, Thackeray uh, wrote a bit about it. Yes, but by, by then, you know, it was being so lampooned in that British way. It was being attacked from all quarters, and it became a sort of joke in the end. But it, it's extraordinary that 1809, Castle Ray and Canning had a duel. Canning was manoeuvring against Castle Ray. Castle Ray was Minister for War, Canning was the Foreign Secretary. It's incredible. Two ministers in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars fighting a duel. Canning had never raised a pistol in his life, never been involved in a duel. And yet there they are on Putney Heath, uh, firing at each other. Uh, they, they both missed with their first shots. By the second shots, I think Canning's pistol round hit a, a button on Castle Ray's coat. And... Canning ended up being wounded in the thigh, and they called it quits at that point. Honour had been done, but it, it ruined Canning's career. I think everyone took Castle Ray's side because Canning was manoeuvring against him. It reminds me of the modern day, actually. I, I once said to old Freddie Forsyth, uh, apropos Day of the Jackal, which political figure would you most like to have in your sniper scope? He went, personally, I'd shoot the whole bloody lot of them. <laughs> she always made me laugh. Make no exceptions. <laughs> exactly. But you know, th this political dueling went on for some time. It had to be done in private because everyone was against it by that stage. And certainly by the 19th century, you ended up with people like Queen Victoria and certainly Prince Albert coming down very heavily on it. And even the Duke of Wellington, who fought a duel in 1829, he ended up being against it as well. So the, the tide was turning by that stage. Uh, things started to get a bit out of control and we had some really quite eccentric duels. Yes, they were starting to veer towards the crazy end of the spectrum. There was a famous one because it was between two women and that was very rare. Uh, that was between Lady Braddock and Mrs Elphinstone, an uh, upper-class lady. They were having tea together and one of them insulted the other. It's not exactly the importance of being earnest. They ended up in Hyde Park with pistols firing at each other and I think Lady Braddock managed to shoot Mrs Elphinstone's hat off and having done that, they then resorted to swords and Mrs Elphinstone was wounded in the arm. So I think honour was done. She, she managed to get home and write a letter saying that honour was done and uh, a big apology. But that's what can happen over toasted tea cakes when things go horribly wrong. A very good reason for a duel. 
yes. unlike these two Frenchmen who decided to go up in a in a hot air balloon. Yes, that was 1808 in the Tuileries Gardens in Paris. Uh, it was quite extraordinary. They decided to go up with blunderbusses and shoot at each other in balloons, and they had co-pilots. I mean, <laughs> who yeah. would be a co-pilot? Talk about talk about the Darwin Awards. It's absolutely insane. But they went up a couple of thousand feet, and one of them was shot out of the sky. And and these balloons were filled with coal gas, which were highly inflammable and, in fact, explosive as well. So, so there, was, of, there was a good chance of somebody winning. Yes, and one of them was sent plummeting to the ground. So that was quite fun for the spectators in Paris. And the mistress, they shared a mistress, and the mistress was going to favour the one who survived. So that was Paris for you in 1808. And the French keep fighting their duels. And in the most exotic manner, it has to be said. I mean, there was one Colonel Barbier who had four duels with someone called Raoul and kept on overcoming his adversary. So in the end, they ended up having a duel in a cab. They tied their left hands together and then stabbed at each other. They fought a duel in the back of a cab as the driver trotted his horse around the block twice. Apparently, the screams were terrible, and Barbier managed to hack Raoul to pieces. So that was pretty close quarters, should we say. There was also the famous uh, 19-year duel, 30 duels over that period, fought between two senior French officers, Fournier and Dupont. And they used everything from sabres to rapiers to pistols, and it ended up in Conrad's The Duel and as you mentioned earlier, was turned into a movie. And in the end, they they almost became friends and it just became a part of the background noise, really. But again, this was in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars, but they ended up deciding that they had had enough and retired from that particular game. Yes, and I think they weren't allowed to fight duels when they were of differing rank, but they, you had to be the same rank to fight a duel. Not to be outdone... The Brits had their own version of the Duel of Honour. Of course they did. In 1806, the MP Humphrey Howarth, a rather rotund, uh, drunken MP, uh, and the Earl of Barrymore, Irish Earl, who were notorious drunks, had a duel, and Howarth turned up and promptly took his clothes off. So Barrymore thought, well, I can't go down in history as the man who shot a naked adversary, so that ended. And they probably went on drinking and gambling together until their deaths. So it's the sort of thing that can happen. There was actually an Irish duel where one of the opponents turned up and promptly shot his adversary through the head before the duel had even started. So He was hanged for murder. He was. But these things happened. But just to go back to Barrymore and Howarth... He took his clothes off. It was quite a good reason, in fact, because he had been a surgeon for the British East India Company in an earlier, in a previous life. He knew that most of the danger of a wound from a gunshot was not from the bullet itself or the round, because um, that wouldn't penetrate too far. It was the dirty cloth from your clothing going into the wound that caused the problem. So supposedly that's why he removed all his clothes. 
in puris naturalibus. Another <laughs> <laughs> fine Latin quote. <laughs> but again, it just shows that all the way through history, it is always cards, alcohol and women, ultimately, that is the cause of these these fights. It's absolutely amazing. You know, people call it honour, but it, it's always pretty grubby. Well, it is for you and me. Scratch the surface. <laughs> Baguettes at dawn. Indeed. <laughs> Richard Hopton writes, Two, the jewel, bloodbath and farce. The formal elements of the duel were essentially the same throughout its history. The challenge, the role of the seconds and the fight itself. It was these three elements which both defined the duel and prevented it from descending into common assault or murder. Moreover, should the duelist have been unlucky enough to be brought to book, the ability to show that the accepted etiquette of the duel had been followed was often sufficient to secure an acquittal from a jury. Nonetheless, Within this formal structure, there was a huge disparity in the way in which duels were conducted over the centuries, especially in the early modern period. Duels were often many-handed sword fights, a very different sort of encounter from the carefully regulated encounters of the 19th century. Henry III of France's favourites, Le Mignon, had one notorious fight in 1578, in which four of the six principals were killed. Think, too, of Dumas's three musketeers' willingness to draw their rapiers and set about one another. Other duelists failed to adhere to the required etiquette altogether, and as a result, their encounters were simply murderous assaults. In 1788, two Irishmen, Keane and Reynolds, agreed to fight a duel, but before they had even taken up their positions, Keane simply shot Reynolds through the head. He was duly convicted of murder and hanged. Some duelists decorously and deliberately fired into the air, whereas others insisted on a lethally short distance between the combatants. Two doctors, Smith and Jeffries, both of Philadelphia, fought a pistol duel in 1830, agreeing to shoot at a range of eight paces. They exchanged shots four times, the last at a mere six feet. Both men, unsurprisingly, were killed. Bloodlust and murderous intent were equally evident in the encounter between two English aristocrats, Edward Sackville and Lord Bruce, more than two centuries earlier in 1613. To avoid the retribution of the English criminal law, the two men fought their duel on the Dutch coast. Sackville's account of the encounter is so graphic that more than four centuries later we can still hear the clanging blades, smell the breakish water and sense the desperation of the duel. Bruce died from his injuries, but not before he'd ordered his surgeon to cease a follow-up attack on the badly wounded Sackville. This was as far as it was possible to be from the orderly ritual of the gentlemanly duel. In the duel's heyday in the 18th and 19th centuries, the majority of duels were conducted according to the received etiquette, a carefully choreographed pas de deux in a wooded glade or sandy heath at first light, with seconds standing by to see fair play. By the 20th century, duelling was in retreat. In France, it had become a joke. In 1901, a Berlin newspaper remarked that the whole world knows that French duels, be they with pistols or swords, present not the slightest danger to their participants. The slaughter of the Great War caused most people to reappraise the concept of the duel, but encounters did still take place, often with a decidedly modern flavour. In 1926, the chairman of an oil company fought a sword duel against a journalist at the Palace Velodrome. In 1935, a French film producer and a critic fell out over a film. 
the jewel had survived into the age of the silver screen. In 1958, two Frenchmen fought a duel arising from an argument about a ballet. One of the seconds was the young Jean-Marie Le Pen. Elsewhere in Europe, too, the duel survived the Great War. Poland's Marshal Pilsudski fought a duel in 1922, while in Britain the reticent, stolid, pipe-smoking Clement Attlee was challenged to a duel by an Italian fascist. He declined the challenge. In the end, it was the rise of democracy, the rule of law and the decline of violence more generally in society which put an end to duelling. Pistols at Dawn was published by Piatkas in 2007. Richard's most recent book and his first novel, The Straits of Treachery, is published by Allison and Busby. It won the Society of Army Historical Research's Fiction Prize in 2020. It is now available in paperback, hardback, audio and a digital edition. Things start to decline in the world of the duel. They certainly do in England. It was so satirised, it was so parodied, it was so mocked by cartoonists and political commentators, attacked by the church, attacked by Prince Albert. It, it was certainly dying out in England. And actually, if you look at the fatalities, the last fatal duel between two Brits was in 1845. The last actual fatal duel in the whole of England was 1852, near Windsor. And guess what? It was between two French emigres. And you can see that dueling survived far longer on the continent, right into the 20th century. I mean, someone like Clemenceau, for example, was... President of France. Yes, and senior minister in various governments. Right into the 20th century was having duels. He was believed to have had 20 duels in his lifetime, around that number. And even into his 80s was practising fencing, just in case someone challenged him. It was absolutely extraordinary how it went on. And right up into the late part of the 19th century, whether it was in Russia or Germany or France, dueling was still going on. Uh, Manet had a duel with a critic who had said one line attacking two of his paintings. He had a duel in a forest and managed to wound his opponent, but they remained friends. It's quite ironic. Honour was satisfied. It know. was. It's quite ironic that Manny should later die from syphilis, so I suppose swordplay in the end got him. You just can't resist it, can you? No, got to get in the cheap cheap <laughs> gag. But the, but the thing about it, particularly in England, was that the military had this uh, view, and actually even Napoleon previous, uh, in previous period, you know, duelists make bad soldiers. And what did he say? Bon duelist a mauvais soldat, something like that. Your um, accent knocks me every time. <laughs> and, and, and so in the British Army, in the time of the Korean War, and a Korean War, the, the Crimean War, the articles of war started to very stiffly punish soldiers for dueling. And one of the ways they did this, which seems rather unfair today, is they would, if, if a soldier was killed in a duel, uh, his wife would not receive the military pension. But it was a great way of actually easing duelling out of the system. You get a duel like the Duke of Wellington's in 1829. Even by then, it was caricatured in cartoons. They did it in secret. He was insulted by the Earl of Winchelsea. He was accused of popery, of getting 
papists, Catholics into universities. It was all to do really with King's College and the idea that Catholics could go there. Also, the legislation that was going through the Commons, the Catholic Relief Bill, that was moving towards Catholic emancipation. And Wellington knew that if things did not loosen up for Catholics, there would be problems. So he, he was in favour of this, and Winchelsea was a committed Protestant, high Tory. He published a letter in the Standard and also sent the same letter to the Vice-Chancellor of King's College, uh, accusing Wellington of criminality. And so Wellington took this rather old-fashioned view of challenging him to a duel, and they ended up in... Battersea Park, what is now Battersea Park, but then was Battersea Fields. And these were asparagus fields back in those days. Winchelsea turned up with his second, actually went the wrong way and went over Putney Bridge by mistake, but turned up early in the morning. And he and the Duke fired shots at each other. The Duke fired wide and Winchelsea decided, well, I can't kill the hero of Waterloo. Yeah, I think it had been very popular. Who happened to be the Prime Minister at the time as well. So Winchelsea fired into the air and honour was satisfied. And to continue the sort of general downgrading of duelling as a thing. So, so Jeremy Bentham of UCL, University College London, he was looking for a legal alternative to duelling. He suggested that if a man insulted a woman, instead of the men fighting a duel over her, the man who insulted the woman should be made to wear a dress and walk around as a woman. That would be the punishment. Yes, ridicule was always the best approach. And I think the Brits had that attitude. Whereas in the late 19th century, Proust was fighting a duel in the 1890s. So honour was still a problem out there. In Dostoevsky's novel Demons, there he has people dueling in Russia well into the 1880s. So going throughout Europe, this was a problem. And it was really the First World War that completely extinguished the idea of dueling, that this was a nonsense concept when millions were being slaughtered in the trenches. Well, that's about wraps it up, Jamie, but I think we must have our PS. So what about going across the Atlantic to America? Yes, why not? I mean, duels were going on there, in a sense, in the same way that they were going on in Europe. But it became the reserve of the gunslinger and the Wild West, and certainly in the post-Civil War era. And a lot of mythologising has gone on. You take something like the gunfight corral in the 1880s, people think there's massive fight. But actually, when you look at it, the action actually only took 30 seconds, and the participants were only six feet apart. And if you look at what happened later on, someone like Morgan Earp, brother of Wyatt Earp, was simply murdered by a shot from an alleyway. And that is exactly what happened in so much of Elizabethan England. Why get into a duel when you can simply stab someone in the back? There are very few known cases of proper one-shot duels out there. You get incidents like Wild Bill Hickok and his adversary Tut, who had a duel, and Hickok managed to shoot Tut with a single shot. And he became a bit of a folk hero because it was reported in Harper's. You get the gunfight in the Long Branch Saloon in Dodge City, Kansas in 1879. And 
the participants in that were a gun barrel length apart. One fired six shots, the other fired five. And the guy who fired five shots only grazed the hand of his adversary, whereas he, he was shot in the chest. So just like dueling in Europe, it was alcohol fueled. it was disputes quite often over gambling and cards, and sometimes the firing and the rapier work was really not great quality. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was the Wild West. Everyone was armed to the teeth. Just like Elizabethan London. My mum told me a story uh, a little while back that there was uh, a cowboy in the 20s or 30s that went to New York for some trip or whatever, and he was sitting in a bar with his chum having a drink. He was wearing his gun, and a policeman came in, in New York came in and, and saw this cowboy and, and drew his gun as a sort of joke, going, hey, cowboy, and the guy turned around and shot him dead, shot the policeman dead, and he was acquitted because if somebody draws a gun on you in the West, you would, um, you would be allowed to fire back. That's a heartwarming story to end with. Yes. There you have it, the story of the duel for honour with its legacy of judicial combat in the Middle Ages to nothing more than a bit of a joke in the 20th century. Perhaps best summed up by the playground posy. One fine day in the middle of the night, two dead men got up to fight. Back to back they faced each other, drew their swords and shot each other. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, Tom. So it goes. My name is Tom Ashton. His name is James Jackson. You can view images relating to each podcast on our Bloody Violent History Instagram account and on our website, bloodyviolenthistory.com. Please subscribe, it's free, to our podcast on the app you use and to our mailing list via our website. This is very important as it boosts our rankings in the podcast charts. Thank you and good luck. Thank you.